You're listening to the Impact Lenders Podcast, the podcast for people and institutions using lending for good. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Impact Lenders Podcast. This is Peter Shaping of High Impact Financial Analysis. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to laugh in this whole episode because I'm with a couple of good friends, uh, Joe Palazzolo and Leah Afgar, my former colleagues at New Jersey Community Capital, are with me. Um, so I will let them introduce themselves momentarily. Uh, but I do want to say that, that each of them was really uh, a big part of my development as an underwriter and a community development finance person and a big part of, of why I'm uh, doing what I'm doing today. So thank you both. Uh, and thanks for joining me. Very excited to have you. So yeah, Joe, why don't you give us a quick introduction to who you are and what it is you do? Okay, my name is Joe Palazzolo and I've been with NJCC for just under 14 years. Leah and I got there around the same time. So we've been around uh, around the same amount of time since 2006. And uh, I primarily focus on our education and early care lending, but way back when Superstorm Sandy hit, uh, I transitioned over to working on our disaster recovery lending program, which all of our lenders did, of course. And, uh, you know, we've, we've built a whole small business loan program out of that disaster recovery uh, uh, relief fund. And in what we have learned from our Rebuild New Jersey fund, which was our Sandy fund, we are now uh, working on putting that knowledge to use in the, uh, the wake of COVID-19 here. So um, yeah. I suspect that I will move from education and early care, you know, continue to do that, but also do a little bit of uh, COVID-19 lending now as well. Sure, great. Thanks, Leah. Yep, thank you, Peter. So my name is Leah Apgar, and I head up lending at New Jersey Community Capital. As Joe noted, I've been there um, for just under 14 years. So I started as um, a lender, and I've done historically a lot of our affordable housing lending, and moved into this role about two years ago, heading up the entire lending team. And I'm really excited to be here today and to talk about this topic with both Joe and Peter. Great. Thank you, Lee. And I should note, this is Joe's second appearance on the podcast because he, he was part of our uh, charter school conference 2018 uh, clip where he, he weighed in on a couple topics for us. So you're our first return guest, Joe. That's, pretty That's right. And I, and I believe that was your most listened to podcast ever, wasn't it, Peter? <laughs> uh, I don't know where the stats fall on that today, but... It was, it was a pretty good one. It's a pretty good one. <laughs> How many people listen to your podcast, Peter? Yeah. Uh, so we, we just Three? had uh, an episode with Mark Pinsky and Adina Abramowitz, which they mm -hmm. were, were very good in promoting as well. And that's got over 200 listens. So that was a good listener count for us. We're generally between 100 and 250, somewhere in there, depending yeah. on the, the topic and how long it's been around. Do you, do you take these recordings and slice them up and like put pieces of it on LinkedIn? Because I watch your videos on LinkedIn. That is a goal. That is a goal. Yeah. yeah, definitely. We want to do that on the marketing side. So cool. We make fun of your clothing on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, much appreciated. Yeah, those videos, I have to say, feel a little silly, um, but I, they are a good thing because I get comments on them all the time. So it's like, it's the kind of thing you've got to do if you, if you want to put yourself out there some, but it is a little bit of a stretch. So we're Why do they feel silly? We're digressing. Why do they feel silly? Let's digress a little bit more. Okay, well, you a can of worms here, Peter. What do you want? Yeah, I think I'm not a person who automatically wants to put their face out there all the time, I guess. And, and I also 
feel like there are a lot of people who do that, not as, not in community development finance, but in other fields that are just, you know, kind of full of it. So I, mm. I don't want to be one of those, <laughs> one of those people, but, um, you know, I don't take that, you that way. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I appreciate it. All right. So the topic of the day is disaster relief. So Joe, Joe mentioned this already. Um, but as we start surveying the economic damage from COVID-19, it's really time for CDFIs to start thinking through and quickly delivering on ways to support those impacted individuals, especially in that low and moderate income bracket that we work with all the time, as well as small business owners that are really being hit hard. So with that in mind, uh, NJCC is a great institution to learn from because they ran a really successful disaster relief program already, and that was in the wake of Superstorm Sandy. So I, we will, we'll hear today a little bit about that program and the lessons that might be in it for us today as we approach this new disaster as, a, as an entire country instead of as a small region that was impacted. Um, but to start, I think it would be helpful because it has been a while since this was in the news and, and not everyone was impacted by it. I, I think Joe might be a good person to turn to because he lives very near the shore. Give us a little sketch of the impact of her, of Superstorm Sandy. What was, how big of an event? incident was it? It was it was major and and when I when I tell people about uh, the storm I always have to add this little additional piece so hurricane uh, superstorm Sandy hit and lasted for a day day and a half and it was pretty wild and um, I always try to explain to people that whenever there's a bad hurricane that comes through you see trees down all over the place because it's one of the after effects of the storm um, with Sandy, there weren't hundreds of trees down all over the place. I mean, there were thousands of trees down. Uh, and when they went down, they took out electrical wires, they blocked off streets, so it was hard for first responders to get around the state uh, locally and then through the major roadways. And it was awful. And then the piece I have to remind people about is that a couple of days after the storm subsided and we were trying to pick ourselves back up, there was a massive snowstorm that hit. Mm. I think a foot or so of snow was dropped all over the state. So we had to wait and wait, wait for that to melt to get back to cleaning up. It was, it was just a disaster. There were, there were um, uh, people without electricity after the storm, but there were some select areas of the state where you wouldn't have imagined like certain parts of Monmouth County, which is where I am, uh, which is near the, uh, near the shore that didn't lose power because of Sandy. And then that snowstorm hit and everybody lost power. Hmm. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of a one-two punch. Uh, it, was, it was widespread economically too around the state. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's not just the shore region, again, where I live, that, that got hit and had to suffer the, the economic consequence. It wasn't just those businesses closed and no electricity down there. It was the entire uh, shore all the way down through Cape May, Cape, Cape May then up around uh, the other the other side of New Jersey uh, with with the, the the shore that begins going towards Philadelphia and up because <clears throat> they had storm damage as well and uh, in that basin part of New Jersey there was you know not as much recovery as there should have been uh, they were they mm. were generally forgotten about and there was also damage uh, sandy damage all the way up uh, through Hudson County so and, and, and Bergen County and yeah. other and it extended other states too yeah yeah. And so how long would you say the worst of it lasted in terms of just total shutdown of businesses in those communities along the shore? Well, the, the, the storm hit uh, began the night of October 28th and ended about a day and a half or so later. 
Uh, I would say most folks were open for business within a month after that, right around that, right after Thanksgiving. Not all of them, but most of them were open. Yeah. But the economic damage, I mean, we still feel a ripple effects from it today, and it's been however long it's been. So um, yeah. Yeah. I know uh, Marie Masherin, who was, who was going to join us today, but couldn't, uh, she and I started going to, um, uh, we started going to meetings of local municipalities, uh, everything from uh, business owners to government officials. And we started that the week before Thanksgiving and people were starting to come out looking for relief efforts. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Cause there was a lot of time when, when business owners, a lot of them had personal lives that were also in, in disarray from destroyed homes and that sort of thing as well. So hard to focus on the economic impact immediately. So maybe Leah, can you give us an introduction? What is the rebuild concept and what were its outcomes like on a high level? Yeah, so I'll give some basics and then Joe was on the ground a lot at that time, um, actually working with businesses and providing them loans. So then I'll let him talk as well. Um, so the concept was we wanted to quickly provide access to capital to small businesses that had been impacted by the superstorm. So this could be loss of revenue because the businesses were closed for a time period. So think about like restaurants and things like that in Asbury Park. And we did do a lot of loans in Asbury Park after the storm, um, as well as things like loss of inventory if they had flooding and they had actual physical damage at their site from the storm. So it took a few different forms in the types of loans that we were actually providing. And when we um, started to think about this concept, we were really concerned about the extent of losses um, that we would experience related to the actual loans. Um, and this was because we committed to a really short turnaround time. So about 10 days right. or so, Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we committed to a 10 day turnaround yes. at the time. And as um, primarily a real estate lender, that is a super fast turnaround. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. yes. and small business um, was not at the time our area of expertise. So this was a skill set that we were building out at the time. Um, so yeah, so we committed to this really fast turnaround time and, um, and very you know, abbreviated sort of underwriting associated with the businesses as well so that we would be able to get money out very quickly to be able to help them because we felt like if we weren't able to get that money out quickly, um, you know, what, what was the point? And yeah. so we started by raising grant capital for the fund. We were able to raise about $4 million from Goldman Sachs and to capitalize the fund with that money. Uh, at the time, we projected that we could have up to 30% losses associated with the fund, which is why the grant capital was so important. As it turned out, because now we can look back and look at what our actual losses were, we only experienced 2% losses. And so we're really excited about that, that we ultimately yeah. only ended up writing off about two loans or so associated with the fund. That is wild, and, yeah. Yeah, and we were able to provide those loans at very low interest rates, and they ranged anywhere from about $10,000 up to $65,000. And Joe, do you wanna add some other details? And Joe, how many loans were made? If two were written off, how many were made? We made 50 loans, but uh, that was that was primarily what we called phase one. 
then we did a couple of other loans in what we called phase two, which were larger than uh, the, yeah. the $10,000 to $65,000 limit. So 50 loans across New Jersey, like Leah said, everything from 10,000 up to 65. And we covered every kind of small business that you might imagine. So yes, we covered restaurants because there were a, a lot of losses, not just from being closed, which there were, but uh, loss of uh, inventory, loss of stock, uh, you know, the food. There was um, uh, a fitness uh, equipment company and they stored their inventory in their basement and the basement got flooded, which ruined some of their inventory. Mm-hmm. So we, we financed them. Uh, we financed in independent artists, for example. There was, a, there was an artist a little bit further south from here in Ocean County and she used her garage as her art studio and the garage got flooded and all of her materials were destroyed. So we helped her get herself back on her feet and she's still very successful today. Um, but we also did like YMCAs. We, we financed a YMCA with the rebuild money. We financed um, uh, a great, great community development organization here in Monmouth County, the Affordable Housing Alliance to help them with some of their housing projects. And uh, gosh, everything in between uh, a local school in um, Lake Como, New Jersey had damage on their roof from the storm. Um, Mm-hmm. Academy Charter High School, we helped them repair that damage. I mean, you, you name it. We, we have auto repair companies, uh, trucking companies, everything. So what were kind of the guiding principles in what you would and wouldn't do under the program? How, how do you craft a program that is broad enough to capture all of those needs, but still has some control over credit quality and, uh, you know, mission focus? Yeah, I think I think what Leah mentioned before comes into play here, which is at the time we had not a great deal of expertise in underwriting small businesses. Mm-hmm. So looking at someone's uh, personal financial statement and their credit report and trying to make a credit decision based off of that was new to most of NJCC. Now, I will say uh, we had folks in our shop like uh, David Bloomberg, who comes from a wealth of experience in small business lending and, uh, and, and similar types of credit who were very, very helpful in, in getting us over the hump and, and, and helping us understand how to do this. So mm-hmm. it was a learning curve for us, Peter. We had to figure out, you know, what does a credit score of 600 mean for a CDFI? And what does a credit score mm-hmm. of 550 mean? Um, what does it mean if they've got a credit score of 800? So it, 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 we, we crafted a program there. I don't remember the exact specifics. I don't know, Leah, if you do, but I think we, we financed borrowers with credit scores as low as 600 or maybe it was lower. I don't remember. 625. I just looked at it earlier this week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so we built a portion of the program based on credit score, but we also looked at how was the business performing? Uh, did the business have some level of stability before the storm closed them down? Uh, what we didn't want to do was find those businesses that were probably a week or a month away from closing anyway, because they weren't successful as, as it was. Yeah. Um, so luckily, I think we, we closed 50 loans in the first phase. I'm going to say that probably there might have been another 40 or 50 folks who came to us, small businesses looking for financing, and either they didn't follow up or uh, we didn't approve them. And of of the ones that we didn't approve, there might have only been uh, one or two that we thought were not successful and wouldn't be successful. 
Got it. Yeah. Okay. And, and Joe, the businesses, to your point, the businesses had to be in business for an entire year prior to the storm. So um, yeah. that was really important too, that the business wasn't new and hadn't just been formed. Yeah. Got it. So there are, there were some guardrails to help this be a successful program, but it sounds, I mean, super broad in terms of the type of business or organization you're, you were financing. So when you were crafting this program, was it primarily a, a staff driven exercise and, and how are you gathering information on what the need was? And then how are you running it past the board investors, that sort of thing? Yeah, so do you want me to talk a little bit, Joe? Yes. Um, yeah, and then, and, then, and then I'll talk a little bit about the need. Okay, yeah, so as far as our process, because we were turning these loans around so quickly, we were able to get our credit committee to approve um, and give us internal approval authority for these loans. Okay. And so that really helped us to be able to get through the loan process and loan approval process more quickly than we otherwise would have been able to. Because typically on our larger real estate loans, which is primarily what we do as a CDFI, all of those loans have to go to a credit committee that meets twice a month. And so it takes longer because you have to work through this credit committee cycle. And I'm sure a lot of the CDFIs listening to the podcast understand that. Um, but able because we were able to approve it internally with a few members of senior staff that allowed us to really react quickly to the real needs of the small businesses. And we also have an individual on staff at NJCC, our head of compliance, who himself was a small business owner for about 20 years. And we found that was a real asset and really taking mm -hmm. a hard look at some of these businesses and truly understanding what the needs are of small business owners. Yeah, when, and, and when it comes to what do we know about the need, again, when Marie and I started going out to these uh, Chambers of Commerce meetings, we heard it directly from the people who were hurting the most. Uh, so we really crafted certain elements of the program to fit the feedback we heard directly from small business owners. Yeah, and that's great. That's the perfect outreach strategy. I think in this situation, too, is go to the kind of business interest groups to, to hear from people uh, in terms of what they need. And, and we've seen already, you know, a lot of small grant programs coming out, a lot of organizations talking about loan deferral. Uh, so I think it is important as groups address the current crisis that they make sure they're finding the gap that, that exists in their market. I think some markets have nothing and some already have a few products coming out. And then in terms of, of the capital side, so you, were, you, you had this good relationship already with Golden that allowed you to, to go to them and get the grant capital needed to kick that off. It sounds like even though you didn't have losses, was that grant capital really critical to getting the cost of funds where you needed it to get rates low? Yes. Yeah. So that is really a yeah. key element, it sounds like. And, yes. and were the rates, were you getting payments on loans right away or were there deferral periods? What was the, the structure like? What the people? It, it, it varied. It varied by loan and it varied by situation. Some some loans we'd close on, let's say, the first of the month, and the, the businesses were um, strong enough to then start paying us the first of the next month. But there were a few loans that we put out there where we had a six-month uh, six deferral period or, you know, um, three months of interest only at a certain rate, and then everything changed at the end of three months. It really depended upon the situation, which was another thing that, you know, made the, made the program a little bit more difficult than what we might normally do. Not that 
and of course the CDFI folks listening will appreciate this, but not that any CDFI loan is ever traditional or standard in, in the way that a bank may feel it is, but uh, all of these loans were unique, the, the, the way that they were structured. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a great amount of flexibility for sure. So in terms of the implementation of this program, getting it together, what, what did you feel were the biggest challenges that you, you came across? I think one of the big challenges for us was just the volume of loans. Um, as not, we were not typically a small business lender, and so we weren't accustomed to dealing with that kind of volume. And we had to commit some staff specifically um, to going out and really being on the ground and working with the small businesses. Um, at that time, it was Joe and another person at our office, and. I think Peter and I at the time were back at the office holding down the fort on all of the other standard loans that we do. Um, and so that was our strategy at the time. Um, and I think we're going to get to talking a little bit more about this, Peter, but we um, have a loan program in response to COVID-19 that we're launching on Monday. And we we're able to take some lessons from this rebuild experience that we're applying to that program around really systematizing and making things more streamlined and easier that I think um, yeah. really come from our experience with rebuilds. But yeah. I'll, I'll leave that for when we get to that point. We'll get there quickly, I think. That's, that's okay. really, I think, the meat of what, what we want to talk about is, is sure. what, can, what lessons can we take from what you guys did? But Joe, did you have any, any challenges you wanted to share? Yeah. Um, and, and this also gets into lessons learned from our, our rebuild program, the Sandy program. Uh, one of the biggest challenges that we faced after the first month or two or three, let's say after about two or three months, was the population we were looking to help those small business owners and other businesses, maybe not a small business, but schools, for example, that were impacted by the storm. They were incredibly fatigued at that point. So uh, when, when you look at, at our loans that we were able to deploy, we deployed a whole lot of loans in December and January and February, uh, and then things began to trail off a little bit. It's not that the need went away, it's that these small business owners were being bombarded by every CDFI who worked in New Jersey, every small bank in New Jersey, every regional bank in New Jersey, uh, the SBA, uh, yeah. every was bombarding these small business owners saying, we've got the, the, the right loan for you. And what we heard, again, because our strategy was let's talk directly to the people who have the problem. Uh, what we heard from them was, we're just exhausted. We, we, we don't know what to do. And, and, and when we started to hear that, again, it's like month four, five, and six, we, we started to hear that. Mm -hmm. That was the same time that insurance companies were coming back to many of these small business owners and saying, actually, you're not covered. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that the, the, the storm and the snowstorm were like the one-two punch. Well, the one-two punch six months later from the small business owner's perspective was, we don't even know what loan program to go to. There's punch number one. And punch number two was the insurance that we've been paying for, yeah. for who knows how long, isn't going to cover the damage. Yeah. And oh, at by that the way, point, your loss is never going to be made whole. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, that that is a, a major struggle and a client management struggle and a morale struggle. But let's get to some of the lessons. We're going to take a real quick break and then talk about those.
During this challenging time, CDFIs want to do all they can to support their borrowers. The first step in taking action responsibly is having a comprehensive understanding of your own organization. How long can you forgo principal and interest collection before cash starts getting tight? How will your portfolio performance impact future lending capacity? How can you communicate your performance and risks to your staff, board, and investors? For over five years, CDFIs have turned to high impact to answer these questions. Our sophisticated cash flow modeling, portfolio analytics, and asset liability matching products back your decisions with analytics and help you communicate complicated concepts. Email us today at analysis at highimpactanalysis.com to find out how we can support you. All right, we are back with Leah Apgar and Joe Palazzo. <laughs> I, like, I like that when the podcast starts and when we come back, Leah laughs both times. That initiates initi- uh, laughing. That's great. Like Peter's serious voice. Yeah. <laughs> so I make faces at him. I'm not going to edit this out. I'm going to leave it be as it is. <laughs> anyway, we are back to, to wrap up our discussion on Rebuild New Jersey, which was New Jersey Community Capital Disaster Relief Program. Um, and we want to talk about lessons. So Leah, you mentioned that there were a few things that came up uh, in your mind as you reflected on this that, that are now shaping how you are responding to, to the current crisis. So tell us yeah. about that. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll first tell you just um, in the next 30 seconds how we're responding uh, to the current situation. So we are similar to what we did after Superstorm Sandy. We are launching a small business loan program for businesses impacted by COVID-19. In this case, I think most of it is going to be loss of revenue because businesses are closed. Um, Even nonprofits like YMCAs are closed. you know, and restaurants and the like. And we've started to receive a number of calls in the past 24 hours or so. I've actually fielded five phone calls from small businesses that have these types of requests. So on Monday, we will be launching a program similar to um, Rebuild, which we launched after Superstorm Sandy. We are raising very low cost money and or grant capital to capitalize that fund. And again, that's because um, we realized there might be some losses um, that are more significant than the losses in our typical loan portfolio. Mm -hmm. And so I would say there are two primary things we learned from Rebuild that we're doing the same in relation to this loan program that we're launching on Monday that does not yet have a name. And, but we'll have a name in the next two hours. Um, And then two things that I think we really learned that we're applying to this program. So the two things um, that we did in Rebuild that we'll be doing the same, one is the really fast turnaround time. We feel that's really important. And so with this program, we're committing to a 10 to 14 day turnaround time on loans. So that means um, very quickly, assessing loans, underwriting loans, and then having a standard documentation process and using standard loan documents and our in-house paralegal will be closing those loans. Um, So we won't be using any outside counsel. And that also keeps costs minimal for the borrower, which is another thing that's very important. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is just 
raising very low cost capital or grant capital to capitalize the program. And also um, having loan loss reserve funds available, again, because we think there might be losses and you can, if you have some grant capital to capitalize the program, you can incur those losses as opposed to borrowed capital where we're then responsible for paying back the capital. Um, yeah. We can't take the same kinds of risks with borrowed capital that we can with grant capital. Um, also by raising grant capital or other low cost capital, we can provide an interest rate of 3%, which is what we're committing to. And we believe that's really important as well. Yeah. And then two things uh, significant that we learned from Rebuild that we'll be doing differently with this program. First, and I mentioned this a few minutes ago, uh, is really systematizing the process. So Rebuild, um, we ended up handling like our typical loan process. So a loan came in, it was assigned to a lender, the lender did the underwriting, um, and we did it just like we would a standard real estate loan. With this program, we're going to have just one single email address set up. So all requests are going to come to one place. We're going to have an admin who assigns out specific tasks. Um, we're just going to have one voicemail set up for this program. Um, and everything will also be done electronically. So Rebuild, we got like sometimes we got paper copies sometimes we got things emailed we were receiving yeah. information sometimes people handed us information when you went out to a business so there were all different types of ways we were receiving information um, for this program we're systematizing it it's one um, online or pdf fillable application and then uh, when a potential client contacts us about a loan they also uh, will receive an invitation to share file and all of their loan documents will be uploaded in that one place. And, um, and then from there, the loan will be assigned out to specific people. And so just systematizing the process and making it much more streamlined, we feel will help us to handle the loan volume much better. And then the other thing that's really different is a payment deferral period. And you mentioned this before, Peter, um, we realize that a lot of these businesses, like Joe was mentioning with Rebuild, they're going to be pretty traumatized. They're not going to have income for a period of time, or if they do start to get income, they might be behind on other bills and they need to use the income to catch up on some other things. And so we'll be offering a payment deferral period for six months on these loans. And we think that's really um, significant and really different from what we did on Rebuild as well. Yeah. Joe, do you want to add some other things about lessons learned? Yeah, I would. I would just add a couple of things, and maybe, maybe these are tips for other CDFI people out there that are working on their own uh, response to to, to COVID nineteen. Uh, you can't you can't ask the same questions on these relief recovery loans that you would ask on your traditional mm -hmm. loan that walks in the door, and I think what we learned in the first maybe even the first week or two. Of, of the Sandy loan program was that when, even though we had this internal approval authority that Leah talked about a little while ago, when we put out credit memos, which were shorter credit memos than we normally would write to our internal review team for approval, yeah. it seemed like they were still consuming that information as though it were our entire credit memo. And they were asking for more information on certain things that uh, in some cases, 
the potential borrower just could not provide to us because the information was lost or damaged, like hmm. um, old old um, credit credit reports, old uh, tax filings. And in, in, in other circumstances, it, it would have been a little bit much for, for us to go back to the uh, potential borrower and ask for the information. Like, like, what is your proposed payroll for the next three months? Well, they don't know. There's no way they knew that in the wake of, of, of Sandy. And I expect it'll be the same on this one. So maybe yeah. a tip for other CDFIs is just make sure that you're not looking at these credits the same way you would every other credit that walks in the door before, before COVID-19. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I would just highlight something that we already have here in the CDFI industry, two things. Number one, um, we're, we're, we're an empathetic industry as it is. And now is really a great time to show that and put that on display because uh, you'll be talking to folks who are struggling. Um, you're going to, you're going to talk to small business owners who've had to lay off staff that, it's probably like family to them, but they've had to lay them off because there was no revenue to pay them. So now's a good time for us to show how empathetic we can be. And then the second thing that again, is I think natural to CDFIs is that we collaborate quite a bit in this industry. Uh, one thing that struck me in, uh, in, in the aftermath of Sandy was we started going to all these different events that we normally wouldn't go to like chambers of commerce and you know, little business mixers and uh, other CDFIs were there too. And uh, we, we worked pretty well with them. We probably could have been more collaborative as an industry uh, after Sandy. Uh, now would probably be a good time for us to be collaborative and, and, uh, and, and show these small business borrowers that they don't need to feel overwhelmed, even though they're going to, but they don't need to feel overwhelmed when it comes to financing because we're all working together to help them get back on their feet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those are fantastic lessons. And I think some of them really apply even to CDFIs who want to keep capital flowing in, in markets that are less directly impacted. Like when you said you wanted NJCC to make sure that, that you were asking questions that were within a reasonable scope for this kind of program. Similarly, I, I think if you're operating, say a multifamily housing lending underwriting program right now, it'd be really smart to have that conversation at the staff and committee level of, okay, what additional things are we going to ask because of this situation? And what are we not going to demand? No one is going to be able to predict exactly how this is going to impact timelines or rent collections in the short term. But it is reasonable to ask, you know, what if tax credit pricing goes down? How are you going to fill that gap? So there's, there's kind of a, a push and pull here where you got to be sensitive to the, to the situation without, uh, you know, making, making requests for information that's just not reasonable to get. So, and the other lesson I think you guys mentioned that, that you didn't just highlight again, but I think is worth saying is uh, when this happened uh, with Superstorm Sandy, and now again, you're planning on it, you really pulled in everybody. So even if small business is not your day job, you're now doing some small business because the entire organization is pivoting to fill the need that, that exists today. Yeah. Yeah, it becomes an all hands on deck situation. Although as Leah just mentioned, one of our internal lessons learned that we're going to try to implement is having a better system around this whole thing. Yeah. So we are going to try and streamline it on our end. And honestly, that's something that, that we have to work with. It's not really something a small business borrower should, should be burdened with, you know, how we, how we in, um, uh, organize our internal structure around our response. And, uh, and hopefully it turns out that way, that the way we've structured ourselves doesn't impact the small business borrower. It should make it easier for them. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you guys so much for sharing your, your thoughts today and telling us about the rebuild story. And I'm so uh, excited and impressed that you have a new program that's going to be launching Monday already. Uh, NJCC has always been a very innovative CDFI. And, and once again, you're, you're responding to the challenge at hand. So good luck. Yeah. Hope you guys have a lot of coffee on hand and a lot of enthusiasm carries you far. Thank you, Peter. I want to add that we hired Peter as an intern when he was 22 years old. And there so look, look at you now, Peter. Here he is, Peter then. Here he is, 24 we're, years old you're now. You're still young, know. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I've got a few, a few gray hairs happening right now. So, oh, geez. Well, thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun to, to have you guys on the podcast. And I really think your insights are going to help a lot of CDFIs. So, um, you can, we'll, we'll have some links to NJCC's programs uh, on our website, impactlenders.com. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by High Impact Financial Analysis. We help mission-focused lenders build and maintain high-performing impact portfolios through our underwriting, portfolio analysis, and general consulting services. Find out more at www.highimpactanalysis.com and follow us on Twitter at High Impact FA. The views and opinions expressed on the Impact Lenders podcast are the speaker's own and do not necessarily represent the views of High Impact or other organizations. Until next time, thanks for listening.